Well, last week we began our series in the book of Acts by looking at the last um, little bit that we read in the book of Luke. And we discovered last week that the book of Luke and the book of Acts are actually connected and that the events that take place in the book of Acts are the things that are immediately following the resurrection of Jesus. Now, there are some things that we observed last week that I want to revisit and I want to reemphasize this week as we begin to really dive into this text. And I just want to say up front that what we are about to read is destined to cause a disruption in our lives. It will disrupt your thinking. Uh, some of the things we're going to talk about today, it might disrupt some of your values. It might disrupt some of the ways that you view the world. It is going to shake things up a little bit. And, and if we really apply this, it's actually going to disrupt the world around us um, through us. And, and that's sort of what we're looking for in this. So before we do anything else, uh, I want to read the passage, and then we're going to unpack it together, beginning in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. This is what it says. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he'd chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. When he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So this text actually brings up four things that I want to talk about today. And I'm going to move fairly quickly today because we don't have a lot of time. But I want to talk about these four things. I want to talk about the waiting. I want to talk about the wanting. I want to talk about the witness. And I want to talk about the watching, these four things. Now, I choose these four things um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, if you look at this text, each one of them can clearly be seen in the passage that we just read. But also, I believe that each one of them have a direct correlation to where we are right now in this particular moment that we find ourselves in. So let's start with this first one. Let's talk about the waiting. Um, Luke says this in verse 4. It says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Um, I, I think this is really important for us to catch, and uh, it brings up a really good question for us right now. Are there times when the good thing that God has for us is found on the other side of a season of waiting? I think that's a question we need to wrestle with right now. Does, does this happen? is the reality that there could be things on the other side of a season of waiting that God has for us that he's promised to us. Um, when I start thinking about this question, I start asking that in, in a larger sense. Is that true in the natural world, in creation? Does the world work that way? Well, obviously the answer is yes. If you look around the natural world, it's absolutely the case for us. Um, seeds turn into sprouts, sprouts turn into plants. Those plants, they produce fruit, but you have to wait for it. In order to experience the fruit, you have to wait for this process. I think we all recognize that. So the reality is that cultivating anything of value 
often takes time. That's just the way things work in our world. You have to wait in order to experience something that's valuable or good. But but the reason that we have to to think about this is that we don't live in a culture today that likes to wait. Um, We have fast food and we have minute rice and we have express lines at the grocery store and express lanes on the freeway. Um, We don't have to save our money because we have credit that we can just use and buy whatever we want right now. We live in this microwave world and slowly and methodically, we have removed ourselves from the experience of ever having to wait for anything. I mean, if you want fruit today, you don't plant a seed and then watch it grow. You just go to the grocery store and you buy what you want. So, So we've almost completely eliminated the experience of having to wait on every level in our lives today. And and because of that, that mentality or that way of life, it's conditioned us um, to not only seek immediate gratification, but it's also caused us to lose sight of this reality that good things come after we wait. We've got phrases like this in our culture, and maybe you've heard somebody say these things, but you've heard people say things like, it's worth the wait. Or or maybe you've, you've heard someone say this to you, good things come to those who wait. Now, the truth is, most of us don't actually like those sayings. Usually somebody's telling us that when we're being impatient. They're they're trying to calm us down, trying to get us to see the longer view. And one of the reasons I believe we're so uncomfortable in this current season, this pandemic, is that I think for a lot of us, we're having to wait. And we don't like waiting. Um, We we don't know when this whole thing is going to be over. We don't have a date that somebody has said, oh, it's going to be done, and then life is going to be like this. Right now, we just wake up in the morning, and we wait, and that's it. But what if I told you that on the other side of this waiting, there was something good? What if I told you that God has something planned for you, that God has something planned for us collectively, that God has something happening in the world on the other side of this? I've been thinking about this for the past several weeks, and I've been thinking about this because of what Jesus says to his disciples. He simply told them to wait. He just sits there with them and says, you need to wait. And he doesn't tell them how long, and he doesn't tell them when it's going to be up. He just says, wait. But it wasn't just wait, and I think this is important. He said, I want you to wait for a promise. Wait for the promise. God has made a commitment to you. God has made a promise to you. But the promise being fulfilled is on the other side of a season like this one, a season when we're waiting. And I think that's really good for us to see. I think it's good because oftentimes you and I, we can get frustrated with God when things don't happen the way we want them to happen or they don't happen in the timing that we want them to happen. Um, we, we We can find ourselves feeling like God didn't keep his end of the deal, like he's not keeping his part of the bargain. And yet right here, what we have is an example of God saying, I've got something good for you, but you're going to have to wait. By the way, this isn't the only time. If you look at the Bible throughout, throughout biblical history, God has a history of asking people to wait for something good. Now, that's not the only reason it's good for us to see this in this particular text. It's also good because I really believe God has something good for us in this season. I believe that God is moving right now in the world. Um, That's not to say that that I'm not praying for those that are being affected. We have family members um, that are being affected by COVID-19 personally. We've had staff members being impacted, family members of of staff. 
um, people around us that, that are working countless hours trying to solve this crisis or be on the front lines. I'm not minimizing any of that, but I also simultaneously believe that right in the middle of this, God is working. And, and, and I can't imagine a scenario where on the other side of this pandemic, we don't look back and see that God did some things in people's lives or that he's doing things in people's lives or that there are outcomes as a result of what we're walking through. So, so, so Jesus, he tells his disciples to wait. And I believe one of the reasons that he had them wait is that this season of waiting reveals things. In fact, I think when we wait, it actually flushes out what's really going on inside of our hearts. It flushes out what we really want. And so I want to move to the next part of this. We talk about this idea of waiting. Now let's talk about the wanting. There's a deep connection between these two things, between waiting and wanting. And the more you and I wait, the more we discover what we really want. And I'm not talking about what we verbalize we want. I'm talking about what we really want. When you and I get placed in a, in a waiting room, we get impatient. When, uh, when, a, when a baby cries, it's because they're hungry. There's, there's needs, there's wants that aren't being met. I have a need, I have a want, and I will make noise until I get what I want. I, I think that's what's so unsettling for many of us in this season is that most of us during this holding pattern, we're starting to see the things that we really want. And what's coming to the surface is, is maybe in some ways disheartening, maybe discouraging. Maybe we're having to face certain things. We're having to deal with our desires. But, but, but here's what I'm certain of. The more we make those discoveries, the more we see what we're really wanting, what we've been needing per se in our, in our hearts, the more opportunity we have to be renewed and refocused during this time. And one of the most significant aspects of, of entering into the way of Jesus, and, and I mean this, one of the most significant things you and I can do to begin to experience the way of Jesus is having our wants or having our desires realigned. When that happens, um, we, we really begin to experience what Jesus was talking about. So, so it begs us this question, what do we really want? What do we really want? There's this moment um, in this text where Luke includes certain conversations, and it's such an intentional detail, and I believe it's loaded with meaning for us. It, it mimics this moment that we actually saw last week in Luke chapter 24, but I want you to see this again in verse 6. He says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed in his, by his own authority. The question is this, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, last week I talked about something that we're going to see throughout the book of Acts, and we're going to visit it from several different dimensions, several different angles. But people, generally speaking, before Jesus began to establish his kingdom, people fall into one of two categories. You are either people of the diaspora, or you are people of the empire. Those are the two options for humanity. You are either a people who are oppressed, or you are among the oppressors. You are either a slave, or you are a master. That's really what happens in the world. Those are the two choices. In fact, even today, that's the two choices that most people are given. You are either being mastered, or you are the master. And I need to mention this. Um, this is important for us. When you are a part of the biggest, most powerful, 
the wealthiest empire that the world has ever known, you may struggle to understand the dynamics of what I'm talking about. By the way, I'm speaking to all of my American brothers and sisters right now. If you fail to see that we are Rome throughout the book of Acts, you will have a very difficult time entering into the reality of what God is inviting us into. So back to the text. The disciples, this is, this is really important for us to understand. The disciples are not a part of the empire. The disciples are the people of the diaspora. They are the oppressed. And the desire, let's go back to this wanting, the wants of the oppressed are to overthrow the oppressor, to reverse the situation. They want to overthrow the empire so that they can become the new empire. And they attach their desire, whatever they want, they attach to whatever savior can deliver what they're looking for. So, so, so let, me just, let me just explain it this way. If you grew up in a Jewish home in the first century when this is taking place, you would have read as a child these stories of your people, your people back in history who were slaves to an empire that was called Egypt. And you would have read this story about how there was this individual named Moses who rose up and Moses brought you into this wilderness. And then you would have read the story of another guy named Joshua who took you out of the wilderness and into this new land of promise. His name, Joshua, Yeshua. Let me just explain that if you fast forward, you have John the Baptist in the wilderness and then someone named Yeshua, Joshua in the Hebrew, shows up. Clearly, you begin making the assumption that something similar is about to happen. And the conclusion that the people of the diaspora make is, this guy is a second Joshua. He's going to take us out of this wilderness, out of this place of scattering, and he's going to establish a second promised land, if you will. This is so important for you and I to lean into because we have this tendency to do the exact same thing. We have our own history. We have our own stories. We have our own narrative in our past that we hold on to, and we anticipate certain parts of that story coming true. Now, never mind that uh, our story is often crafted by Disney or Hollywood or some corporate advertising firm. Um, but the point is, we have a story. We have a storyline that we've been tracking with, a, a, a narrative that's been written, and we're leaning into this. And we have expectations that have been birthed out of these stories of our culture. And we bring these expectations out of the story to whatever Savior we happen to be looking to, including Jesus. This, this is what we do with Jesus. And rather than let Jesus reset our desires, we actually just invite him to make our desires a reality. Like, Jesus, thank you for coming, and you are going to make all of my wildest dreams come true. Like, Jesus, here's my promised land. Now that you're here, would you take me to this thing that I've expected? And here's, here's what we have to understand. It doesn't matter if you bring the dreams of diaspora, of overthrowing those who have you've defined as evil, those that you've said are your oppressors, they're your enemies. It doesn't matter if you bring those kinds of dreams or if you bring the demands of the empire of just getting your way and having people um, talk like you and look like you and eat like you and vote like you. It doesn't matter what end of the spectrum you bring the desires from. If that is what you believe Jesus came to deliver on, the dreams of the empire, the dreams of the diaspora, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven as Jesus liked to say. You won't experience life like he was talking about. You know, when Jesus makes comments like it's easier 
for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the kind of thing that he's talking about. If your dreams for Jesus are rooted in your oppression or they are rooted in your dominance or your desire to have things your way, you will never experience what he has to offer. It is not the dreams of diaspora or the demands of empire that Jesus is all about. He is bringing something entirely different and something new to us. It's what I personally like to refer to as the third way. I just, I like that language. There's a third way. We have option one and option two, and then Jesus sort of presents this other thing that we can enter into. It's a new way to live. Um, some people would refer to, to, to living this third way or those people that are engaging this who are bringing about the new creation, as we've talked about previously, they would refer to these people as the new humanity. Like there are those humans and then there are those humans, but now there is this group of humans. There is this new humanity. And it doesn't matter if you're from the diaspora or if you're from the empire, you can enter into this new way of living. So is Jesus a second Joshua? Well, yes. Is there a second promised land? Well, yes. Maybe not in a physical sense, but in an unseen spiritual sense, the answer is yes, absolutely. And that kingdom, that land transcends any physical barrier or geographical boundary that may exist. And all of that becomes really clear when Jesus says what he says next. Let's go back to this text. He blows their categories up and he offers this definition for life as a, as a part of the new humanity in just the next sentence. He tells them, so they ask this question, are you going to establish the kingdom? Are you going to make all our dreams come true? And Jesus says, that's not for you to know. But then he says this in verse eight. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you realize how radical this sounded in this moment for them? By the way, this is a really important verse in the book of Acts. We're going to look at it multiple times throughout this series, but I want to look at one aspect of this. Do you, do you realize what a 90-degree turn this is? They're asking, like, Jesus, are you going to establish this new kingdom for Israel? And Jesus says, Israel? You're going beyond Israel, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Like, you're going to the ends of known civilization. Jesus is talking to common men in the first century who didn't travel. These are men, these are fishermen, laborers, tax collectors. These are people that probably, they probably never wandered more than 12 miles from their home. And when they ask you, Jesus, about this new empire, you tell them, you guys are going on a trip. Like, you're going to places you never imagined. And in this moment, Jesus completely eradicates their understanding of what's about to happen. In fact, um, he refers to them to, with this term. That's the third thing that I want to look at. He calls them witnesses, the witness. He says, you will be my witnesses. So we've got this waiting. We've got these wants. But now we move to this idea of witness. Now, it's interesting because the Greek word that's translated into English is, um, as witness is the Greek word martyr. And in our culture, martyr has come to mean something because of the way these People lived out their faith. These witnesses went out and they lost their lives as a result. And so martyr took on this meaning of being somebody who you, you gave your life for the cause. But before that, what did it mean? Well, witness carries with it two fundamental connotations. 
Um, first of all, a witness means this, that they are going to carry with them the, the history of, of life with Jesus. These individuals, and this is really beautiful when you think about the story and the history that we lean into, these individuals are the new storytellers, the witnesses. They are now in the position to tell the story. They will soon be speaking from these memories about walking with Jesus. They will draw on these moments when they, they there were sights and there were sounds and there were words from this rabbi from Galilee that, that they will recall and now share with others. They're going to tell the story of the new humanity. They're going to call people into this new way of living, whether they've been oppressed and been a part of the diaspora or whether they've been the oppressors, a part of the empire, they're going to tell a story that says there's a different way to live. So in one sense, that's what it means to be a witness. And they will also be witnesses of divine presence. They're going to give room for the witness, the Holy Spirit, and their lives are going to become the stage on which the resurrected Jesus will appear. Like they're going to be formed by the Spirit. They they will be turned out to this world, not as representatives of, of empires and not as, as fighters in the diaspora, but they are going to announce a revolution of the intimate that God is calling to them, that God is calling to the world and pulling them into this new reality. They're going to enter into new places to become new people, and they're going to join themselves to those that are in Judea and Samaria and the other parts of the earth. They're, they're going to connect to people that you never imagined they would connect with. People will see them, and they will say things like, this is a different kind of community. There's no excuse for these people to ever be together, to do life, to love each other the way that they are. They're not going to fit into the categories of culture. They won't be defined by the narratives of society. They're going to know a power that is unlike any other power that anyone has known, not one that's based on position or station in life. They're going to live in a kingdom that's unlike any other kingdom, one that's not bound by borders. They're going to experience this freedom that's unlike any other kind of freedom, one that liberates you from the narratives of your past, regardless of your circumstances. In other words, they're going to be in the world, but not of the world. Which leaves us with this final curious moment and this last thing I want to talk about, and that's the watching. Verse 10 says this. It says, while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? In other words, why are you watching? Now. That's sort of an ironic question, given the present moment, because you are literally watching me right now. But the point is really clear. The disciples at this moment, they look into the heavens, and they are concerned by the absence of Jesus. They are concerned about the absence, and they're missing the opportunity that's ahead of them for his presence. The disciples in this moment, they could very easily, they could turn towards building a monument. Let's Let's build a statue. Let's put in a plaque. Let's, let's talk about uh, how we mark this spot, mark this moment. And, and in that instance, they could forget the instruction they've received about the Spirit of God. They could easily right now become historians rather than witnesses. So why are you watching? Why are you watching? What are you looking at? In other words, these men are looking at the disciples and they're saying, it's go time. Lean into this. And, and, and here's something that I want you to understand. This is a really important principle for, from this message. 
waiting on Jesus will eventually turn into walking with Jesus. You're going to have to wait a little bit. That's what Jesus says. But then you're going to walk with me. I will be present with you through my spirit. And when you walk with Jesus, he will make you witnesses of Jesus. That's what this is leading to. Which means this, there's a time to wait. There's a time. But we are waiting so that we can walk. And we are waiting so that we can become witnesses right here, right now, in the dust of every day. That's the point of this. Don't don't stare and gaze upon Jesus as some sort of historical figure, but move to the moment in which he offers his presence, his spirit. So I want you to understand something. That's that faith is always going to lean us forward to where God is taking us. God wants to meet us someplace in the future. God is moving us ahead. God is drawing us towards a future, a preferred future. That's where he's leading us. And so I just, I want you to imagine something with me. I want you to imagine what would happen if we came to realize, if you came to realize, if I came to realize, all of us collectively came to realize that God has something for us on the other side of this season, that we're not going back to normal. We're going to a preferred future. What would happen? I want you just to imagine what would happen if you and I, we had our wants, our desires redefined by the ministry and message of Jesus. What if we reordered those things that we're actually longing for? What could take place if you and I became living witnesses or, or, or examples of what happens when we enter into this kingdom of Jesus. I mean, what if, what if instead of watching, what if instead of being spectators, we actually started walking? That is the invitation of Jesus. He is offering this to you, no matter who you are, no matter where you are. He's saying, I want you to wait because there is something good, and that good is life in me. So right now, we're going to move to a time of reflection and a moment of worship. And I just want you to take this time and let this sink in. Just let these words sink in. What does this mean? What does this mean? Are you, are you a person who's always fighting your oppressors? Are you a person who's always forcing your will? Or are you a person who's actually leaning in to this new way, this third way of Jesus? Are you waiting and expecting that God's spirit is going to move? What does this mean to you? So we're going to take some time, and then I'll be back in a moment to offer the benediction. the king you're the center 
So now, may you wait in this moment. May you wait in this season. May you endure this pandemic knowing that God fulfills his promises on the other sides of seasons like this one. May you move beyond watching. May you become a living, breathing witness of the new humanity. May you make the new creation a reality. May people see you and say, I'm not exactly sure where you're from because you live so differently. May you be witnesses. In the name of Jesus, amen.